0: Hi, I'm David Franklin, and you're listening to Episode 7 of Season 2 of the Shintaito of America podcast. Shintaito, in case you haven't heard this word, is an amazing body movement practice, a dynamic and creative holistic health exercise invented in Japan in the 1960s. Shintaido can be a way to open up to a deeper connection with ourselves, with our community, and with nature. In episode 7 of season 2, you're going to hear chapters 9 and 10 of Michael Thompson's autobiography, Untying Knots. Michael is one of only four master instructors of Shintaido in the world today, the only non-Japanese master instructor, and significantly, the only master instructor who had no prior background in martial arts before starting to practice Shintaido. In Chapter 9, Michael describes how he first introduced Shintaido in the U.S. at Hobart and William Smith Colleges in Geneva, New York, but then returned to Japan to deepen his practice. In Chapter 10, Michael and Haruyoshi Ito formally established Shintaido in California and together begin to confront the challenges posed by profound cultural differences in the context of transmitting somatic teachings. Okay, ready? Here we go. Untying Knots, a Shintaito Chronicle by Michael Thompson. Chapter 9, which was originally titled Section 2, Chapter 2 in the printed book. A Dojo and the First Students. I moved in with Bill Burtis in September of 1973, two years after I had left town and my teaching job. In fact, he had been one of the partygoers aboard the QE2, and had almost not made it off the boat in time before they pulled up the gangplanks. I'm sure I must have seemed a little strange to him, even demented, with all of my stories, new body, and clean way of living, not to mention the white martial arts costume and wooden staff. I felt so changed that I couldn't imagine that anyone I had known before could ever associate me with the person I had been. It was as if I had been reincarnated. To my old friend's credit, I felt welcome, for the most part, although I had no intention of picking up where I had left off with my former life. The first task at hand was to find some willing bodies and start teaching. I also had my own practice to keep up, and needed to find a good space to do so. Bill, it turned out, was going through a crisis of his own, and was amenable to trying something slightly insane to help him deal with it. I sometimes think that the fact that he was always going through some kind of crisis for a while was the only thing that kept him coming back for more, because my version of Shintaido was very primitive and required a degree of fanaticism or desperation. Anyway, we found a large semi-private field at the college, and I immediately introduced him to the joys of jumping around the perimeter and running echo back and forth. I think at first he did it as a physical challenge, but later came to appreciate the cathartic effect of running and screaming at the top of his lungs. He introduced me to the head of the women's physical education program at William Smith, who also ran an evening program of alternative disciplines such as yoga, martial arts, etc. Since, for better or worse, they knew who I was, she immediately accepted my proposal to teach Shintaido twice a week in their gymnasium. Bill and I came up with a poster and put an announcement of the first class in the student newspaper. I couldn't believe my eyes when around 50 people showed up for the first class. I'm sure a lot of them were curious to see what I had gotten into, based on my previous reputation as a kind of hip French teacher. I was so excited to see all these people that I went a little overboard with the first practice session. At any rate, only about ten showed up for the second class. We settled into a regular group of seven or eight faithfuls. There were a couple of faculty members, one or two faculty wives, and two faculty children, in addition to the students I had stayed with when I arrived. Later on, more students joined in, but it was never the mass movement I had dreamed of. In fact, my abilities did not match my enthusiasm. Still, we had some great practices during the two years I was in Geneva, New York. It was a time when people were seeking alternative modes of expression and didn't care too much for the conventional wisdom of the day. It also seems that people were not so preoccupied with projecting coolness, perhaps because it was a friendly and nurturing environment. Shintaido attracted a diverse crew of dancers, actors, and intellectuals from the college population and the local high school. I sometimes ruefully think that I might have had hundreds of students had I stayed there, but I was beginning to formulate other plans. During my time in Geneva, I received visits from Japanese Shintaitoists, including Fugako Ito and Masashi Minagawa, a member of Japanese Shintaito's second generation. Their visits were particularly welcome because they showed me some new techniques and corrected my bad habits. I can still remember marching up and down the field under Ito's direction, trying to coordinate the movements of the bow staff and the stepping and feeling almost completely inept. I began to realize that I really didn't know a whole lot and was not licensed to teach by the Japanese Federation. Ito suggested that I go to Japan the following summer to study further and take my instructor's examination. Although I was starting to eat into my savings, I actually made money in France with the help of income from a modest trust fund, a very cheap lifestyle and a strong dollar, I decided to follow his recommendation and headed off to Japan in June 1974. Ito welcomed me and installed me in his small apartment in the Shinjuku district of Tokyo. I attended as many practice sessions as possible and enjoyed the opportunity to get to know Tokyo with the help of a knowledgeable and obliging guide. After about a week, he and I joined Aoki at an inn near Mount Asama, an intermittently active volcano. I don't remember much interaction with Aoki at that time. Ito videotaped me doing some basic Shintaito forms, and then the three of us sat down and watched it while Aoki provided his commentary. Although I didn't know it at the time, Aoki's shared insights at the time of examinations and evaluations were nervously anticipated by the examinees. It was said he could read your soul through the movements. I later was able to verify this assessment. At that time, however, he limited himself to a few comments about inconsistencies in my form, but that, in general, my performance was adequate for him to appoint me Shintaito instructor. I didn't feel he was particularly enthusiastic about the promotion, and... A couple of years later, I understood why. Ito, on the other hand, seemed very pleased and helped to fit me out with an instructor's white hakama, a pleated ceremonial skirt. This was a crowning moment for me, and I harbored all sorts of visions of becoming a great spiritual master, leading the unenlightened to spiritual awakening through the medium of Shintaido. There was still Aoki's apparent lack of enthusiasm to keep me from really taking off, however. Recharged, I flew back to the U.S. to resume my teaching duties in Geneva. Bill had substituted for me while I was gone and seemed happy to be relieved of his responsibilities, although I heard no complaints from my students. Before I had left... Ito had mentioned that he was thinking of moving to the U.S. to help me introduce Shintaido in this country in a more formal manner. This seemed like a good idea to me since he was the brains behind the Japanese organization and ran the head office and I had no practical experience in this domain. The classes at William Smith continued into the new year with more people joining and most of the original group staying on. Trying to remain faithful to my understanding of important Shintaito rituals, I organized a kangeko, a cold-weather practice, in January of 1975. About seven or eight hardy souls, including a couple of junior high students, trudged through an upstate New York blizzard at five or six in the morning to do a one-hour practice for five consecutive days, I really felt at this point that I had been successful in transmitting a big part of Shintaido to my students, but that for my own growth, I had to consider moving up or on to the next level. Soon thereafter, I received a letter from Ito proposing that we join forces in one of two ways. Either we both move to San Francisco, where he had some contacts, and work together, or He could set up operations in San Francisco while I remained on the East Coast, and we could meet up and exchange information whenever possible. There was no doubt in my mind about my response. I really didn't feel qualified, either in a business or Shintaido sense, to move to a major urban center to start up a Shintaido dojo. I wrote back that I would meet him in San Francisco in the fall and proceeded to make plans to that effect. These included buying a car and learning how to drive. At the age of 35, I still hadn't passed my driver's test. Since I always associate the month of September with new beginnings, I decided to leave then and enlisted one of my students who had relatives in California to share the driving. He too had to get a driver's license, the difference being that he was 18. And as soon as he received it in the mail, we loaded up my trusty Dodge Swinger and headed west. Naturally, I was sad to abandon my students who had been the first Shintaido pioneers in the U.S. Naturally, I was sad to abandon my students who had been the first Shintaido pioneers in the U.S. They accepted it almost as an act of faith since I was able to provide only the sketchiest of background information or philosophical context to help them along. Our practice was primitive compared to today's, but I don't think they were ever lacking in enthusiasm or dedication, in fact, just the opposite. When I see some of today's practitioners, I sometimes think they are missing some of their predecessor's naive and unmediated love of Shintaido. Only Bill Burtis is still going from that group, and I'm sure he carries the purity of their practice in him to this day you've just been listening to chapter nine of michael thompson's untying knots and this is the Shintido of america podcast i'm david franklin we're about to hear chapter 10 but before we get to that i have a favor to ask if you're enjoying today's podcast the most important thing you can do to help out is to tell people about us I want to give a big shout out to those of you who have already shared the podcast on social media and who gave us a good rating on whichever podcasting app you're using. If you haven't done that yet, it would be great if you could just hit pause and do that right now. Share the podcast on social media and give us a good rating and then hit play again. I'll wait. Okay, thanks. On with the show. Untying Knots, a Shintaito Chronicle by Michael Thompson. Chapter 10, which was originally titled Section 2, Chapter 3 in the printed book, From the Frying Pan into the Fire. While I was making plans to move to San Francisco, I ran into Pamela Olten, who had been a student at William Smith when I was on the faculty there. She, too, was planning a move to San Francisco and was going to drive across country with her friend Stephen Pazella. Since we had both been fans of C.G. Jung, this seemed like one of those synchronistic moments, and we agreed to get together once we got there and perhaps look for an apartment together. The drive to the West Coast was relatively uneventful, although Carl, my co-pilot, and I, being novice drivers, We're both exhausted from clenching the steering wheel and fighting curves, both on our own and on the other's driving shift. But what better way to get driving experience? Just to add to the challenge, we decided to drive through Canada, Banff and Jasper, and come down the Washington, Oregon coast to enter San Francisco by way of the Golden Gate Bridge. This we did, but by the time we entered the city... We were ready to go into hibernation for a week. Pamela and Stephen were already there, and we soon started our search for a place to live, settling on a flat in the Richmond district near Golden Gate Park. Ito was due to arrive a few weeks later, and since they were interested in Shintaido, I showed them and a friend of theirs, Tom Abbott, who was also a Hobart and William Smith alumnus, some of the basic forms. In fact, I learned there was a whole gaggle of fellow alumni who had moved to San Francisco over the past couple of years. They all, at one time or another, got involved in Shintaido, comprising the majority of students for the first four years or so. Ito finally arrived after about a month's time. We had agreed that he would be our fourth roommate, and he took up residence at our 7th Avenue abode. This, of course, was a major life change for him, since he had never left Japan except for short trips. There is a big difference between American and Japanese culture, and we all had a lot of learning to do. Ito set up a regular schedule of practices in Golden Gate Park with the four of us. Three mornings a week, we would cross the street into the park at 8 a.m. and walk to some baseball fields on the other side. Our practice, once again, was simple and severe. A lot of jumping and running echo to start with, spiced with a variety of kicks to strengthen our lower bodies. We added practice with the wooden bow staff almost immediately, and were joined by some new faces, not all of them Hobartians. Some became key members of the future organization. In order to offer classes on a regular basis, Ito and I looked for a practice space and found one with cheap rent in a somewhat seedy section of town. His main goal at the beginning was the education of future instructors and, as time went on, an increasingly large group met to practice in the park. In those post-hippie days, most people worked part-time or at odd hours and were free to run around in the morning and come back to our apartment for a copious breakfast. At our peak, there were sometimes as many as 15 people at the morning practices. Meanwhile, my new role was beginning to emerge. I believe Ito's original intent was to train me until I was ready to take over the U.S. group while he stayed on in a supporting role or, perhaps, moved on to take on another challenge. But I was finding it nearly impossible to play second banana. On one level, we had entered this arrangement as partners and had even registered as a small business with City Hall, But on another level, we were in the hierarchical student-teacher or senior-student-junior-student relationship that characterizes the Japanese schools of arts and martial arts. In retrospect, I think I had been spoiled during my stays in Japan where I was treated as a kind of dignitary and colleague, and now it seemed I was expected to fit into the mode of student or aspirant, This prompted a reaction of resistance and rebellion in the core of my being that colored this whole period in San Francisco. I should explain that today in Shintaido there is a clear path from beginner to instructor with intermediate ranks of advanced student, assistant, and so on, but at the time there was nothing but general practitioner and instructor, and I fell into the latter category, albeit prematurely. I was also woefully ignorant of the way of the East in this respect. I had read a number of books about Zen, in particularly Zen and Japanese Culture by D.T. Suzuki, but I guess I never really made the connection between the idea of beginner's mind and its practical application. I'm sure Ito was as ambivalent about his status as we were, since he had come out of the dual tradition of Rakutenkai, the free and easy commune that invented Shintaido, but was also the chief officer of the Sogo Budo Renme organization that was tasked with systematizing and propagating Shintaido and was very structured. When he first came, he went through his own hippie phase, at one point sporting a long ponytail, It was also his karma to be saddled with a bunch of transplanted East Coast college graduates who were not all prepared to subjugate their own ideas or philosophies to his. Aoki made three trips to San Francisco during this period and must have been horrified by the turn of events he witnessed there. It must have been obvious to him that Ito's talents were not being fully utilized or appreciated, He was doing his best, and we were all expending a lot of energy and time, but an essential part of Shintaito was not being transmitted. I have notes from his talks during those visits, and he always insists on the importance of learning from other cultures different from your own, and not insisting that your own is absolute. This is a difficult problem for Americans who tend to think that, or act as if we are the most advanced nation on earth and it is up to others to learn from us. We stand, so to speak, on the shoulders of older cultures and it was this tacit assumption that often impeded open, two-way communication. I suspect that Aoki and other visiting Japanese convinced Ito that the only way to transmit the heart of Shinto was the traditional Japanese way, that students had to come to their teacher as empty vessels and study with complete dedication until they had learned 100% of what he had to give. This, at least, was the subject of another Auki lecture. Although this system can lead to abuses, especially in the case of an unprincipled teacher, it is a surer method of reaching the level of being that we seek than a more democratic or contractual approach and has the advantage of having been tested over centuries. He said that in the information age, this may seem like a rather anachronistic system, but if one is looking to explore deeper realms of his or her psyche and mother nature, or dai shizen in Japanese, it is probably the surest path. The cultural mismatch exploded one night at a party for Aoki and his wife at a friend's house. At one point, tempers were lost and a guest, not Aoki fortunately, was slapped by one of the people hosting the affair. It was a tense moment and the other guests tried to mediate and calm both parties down. Ito and the Aokis sat by during this process, totally ignored by the rest of us. Later that evening, after we had returned home, Ito came to my room to get an explanation of the night's events. He said that at first he was furious, because in Japan, if a host destroyed the good feeling of a get-together, everyone ought to leave and congregate somewhere else. He felt that this was especially true in this case, because the Aukis were special guests and he was our teacher. I said that there was nothing in our cultural etiquette that called for that response. In fact, we did what seemed appropriate in that situation. It later turned out that Ito was so beside himself with rage that Aoki told him to find out my version of events before taking any action. Without his intervention, however, I wonder whether we would ever have learned this lesson of cultural relativity since it seemed to all of us that our responses were normal. It might have been disastrous if Ito had actually given vent to his shocked anger. Another theme of Aoki's talks was the notion of freedom. In the West, he noted, we think of freedom from restraints with regard to our personal choices or political freedom, but someone from the East thinks of freedom more as liberation, perhaps freedom from your own personal tastes or habits. It is a space which transcends the concerns of what they call our small self. In order to gain access to that space, we have to be willing to sacrifice our personal likes and dislikes. I was in no mood to be an empty vessel. I kept a diary at the time, and notation after notation is filled with a mood of self-loathing and resentment of others. Part of my problem was, as I wrote, the ambiguity of my relationship with Ito, but I had also reached a plateau in my practice of Shintaito itself. There was no doubt that my technical level had improved but there was a block or obstacle that was keeping me from moving into the world of freedom described by Auki and all the hours I spent practicing seemed to have little or no effect on it. A couple of times Auki released the blockage once by pulling on my belt while I was lying down resulting in gales of laughter emanating from somewhere deep in my bowels and another time by pushing down on my hips while I was running echo with a wooden sword. But despite these reprieves, I was sinking deeper and deeper into my personal black hole, and I couldn't see any way out. I think it was around this time that auki noted that, while my level had been adequate to allow him to make me an instructor a few years previously, The general level of practice had advanced to the point where the results might be different were I to take the test now. Surprisingly, this evaluation did not demoralize me further. It just confirmed what I suspected all along. It was not all doom and gloom during this period. We found a huge new dojo in the Project Arto, an artist's cooperative in a renovated factory, where we were able to run and yell to our heart's content if not that of the local tenants. Our group had evolved into a community with a number of us sharing meals and the establishment of another Shintaito house two or three doors down from our apartment. With the help of a Japanese-American lawyer, we established ourselves as a religious non-profit organization with Ito named as Missionary. At the same time, we were trying to find a way to get him a green card so he could stay indefinitely. He finally got one by marrying a U.S. citizen who also happened to be a Hobart William Smith graduate. One of our major accomplishments during this time was the translation and publication of Aoki's Shintaido textbook in English. And this is an editorial note, by the way, you can hear the textbook as an audiobook by listening to season one of the Shintaido of America podcast. Back to Michael's book. At the end of two years, it seemed we were fairly well-established and that Ito's labors were beginning to bear fruit. Although Shintaido was hardly a household name, just by dint of showing up, we had gained some respect among martial artists and the New Age community in the Bay Area. This is the Shintaido of America podcast. You've just been hearing Chapter 10 of Michael Thompson's Untying Knots, and I'm Shintaido instructor David Franklin. We're nearly done, but be sure to listen through to the end of the credits for the cherry. Before the cherry, I'm going to pass the hat around among you who are hearing the sound of my voice and do a bit of busking here on the information superhighway. Shintaido of America is a totally member-supported nonprofit organization, and there are many ways to support our truly micro-budget production of educational materials, and I really mean that. We produce a huge amount of content on volunteer power, but some things just require a few bucks in the bank. So, one way is to make a one-time donation in any amount, or to become a member of Shintaido of America for a mere $60 per year, if you're hearing this in 2023 it would mean a great deal to our hardworking team. You can do that. Sign up for our free email newsletter and also find all kinds of free educational resources at our website, where you can also find all the previous episodes of this podcast, which is www.shintaido.org. That's www.sh-I-nt-A-i-do-o.org. That's whiskey, whiskey, whiskey dot Sierra Hotel India November Tango Alpha India Delta Oscar dot Oscar Romeo Golf. Got it. You can also find us on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube by searching for Shintaito of America, and our email address is podcast at org. Our episode today was recorded and edited by me, David Franklin, with support from Sarah Baker, Connie Borden, Teresa Soldatova, Jim Sterling, the Joe Zawilski Memorial Fund, and of course, the members of Shintaido of America. Thank you. Okay, here's the cherry. In Shintaido, what we mean by receiving and attacking is not like in boxing or whatever martial art. In Shintaido, attacking means being really sincere and pure. What we want to study in Shintaido through attacking is learning about sincerity. It's expressing all of your energy in the direction of the receiver during just one attack. Of course, from a boxer's point of view or a karate practitioner's point of view, it won't be effective this way. In that case, the purpose is to trick the adversary. In Shintaido, there is no tricking the other person. It's just giving all of your energy to them. That was a quote from Shintaido instructor Robert Brian speaking during a panel discussion called How Does Attacking Help? that I moderated and which was published in the Shintaido of America newsletter in summer of 1989. And guess what? You can find back issues of the newsletter and the Body Dialogue Journal as well as previous episodes of this podcast all for free at our website www.shintaido.org. Thanks for listening to the Shintaito of America podcast. Contents of this podcast copyright Shintaito of America 2023 with the exception of San Francisco Be Sure to Wear Flowers in Your Hair written by John Phillips and performed by Scott McKenzie a short excerpt of which was included for educational purposes. Shintaido opening to life.